Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Hello, Final Girl. Hello, Final Girl. It's so good to see you, even though I'm seeing you via Zoom. We normally try to get together and be together when we record, but you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And we live like, you know, maybe if it were uh, 2007, we'd only be like 20 minutes away from each other, but right in 2022, it's, uh, it's about a half an hour away. Yes. So. For, those, for those of you who don't know, Tamara and I, the way that we met is that we lived across the street from one another yeah. and lived across the street, what, like five years or something, something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe longer, but um, alas, the trek is a little bit longer now, but that's okay. I'm, I'm getting, every time I, every time I drive that way, it feels shorter and shorter, even though the GPS takes me a different, I feel like it takes me a different way. Every yeah. time, plus I also invariably, I feel like every other trip, I like miss a turn and then it's got to recalibrate. <laughs> <laughs> Just in our neighborhood, you miss the turn. Or even so before, like, even before sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird neighborhood. Um, speaking of neighborhoods, we're, we're um, recording on the first so it was Halloween last night. Did you have any yes. fun trick-or-treaters? Um, I don't know. Like, we don't really get trick-or-treaters where I am, even though it's like, you know, it's kind of like a well-established neighborhood and sidewalks mm-hmm. and all that thing. But we were at a friend's last night. Um, our friend Carolyn, who is convalescing from a surgery, and so mm-hmm. we spent a Halloween with her and we watched uh, the original Suspiria, which I've (laughs) been talking up to her for a number of years now. And uh, we had exactly one trick-or-treater, the most adorable group of little kids who were like Batgirls and superheroes. And they were totally, we we literally had like we weren't. We were supposed to have the light off, but uh, my boyfriend John had purchased uh, for his own consumption a bag of caramels, and we happened to have a few left. <laughs> so we, we yeah. were able to hand those out when the doorbell rang, and then we turned the light out. What about you? <laughs> uh, well, so we have a neighborhood with a bunch of kids in it of all ages, and so, um, and we live on the uh, coveted double cul-de-sac and so we took the kids around the dog bone and then came back up to the house and ate dinner and put the kids to bed so did they were they dressed up they were uh sebastian was spider-man and francis was (laughs) toddler perennial favorite blippy uh if you don't know about blippy you can consider yourself lucky because it was <laughs> Blippi is like a YouTube sensation for toddlers. And I think he actually um, sold the brand to uh, this company called Moonbug that like is a subsidiary of like the Nickelodeon brands, I think. And wow. so, I know ultimate, ultimate YouTuber success. 
Right. Exactly. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, it's annoying as shit, but, um, he, the kids love it. And Frankie said, you know, a month ago when I asked, she wanted to be blippy and I was like that (laughs) I can do. Well, I'm going to be looking it up tomorrow and I, I, I'm looking for some pictures from you. So, uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can send you some pictures. Um, so I actually reached out to you, Laurie, um, a couple of weeks ago because I had heard this big hullabaloo about a remake of a film, uh, and the remake is on Hulu. And I was like, well, I've never seen this. And we just happened to have a letter uh, that kind of fit with this whole thing perfectly. So um, do you want to do the reveal first or do you want to do the letter first? Well, I can give a little teaser. Ooh. Which this quote will be, well, should be well recognized, (laughs) which is... We'll tear your soul apart. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, come to daddy. <laughs> oh, I should have said that. I should have. Well, that, that would totally be my normal. Oh, cut it. Cut it. <laughs> Redo okay. It. Or you could say, come to daddy. It's <laughs> <laughs> so gross. Brody. Um, so uh yeah let me go ahead and read the letter um it's been a little while since we've done a letter um so i'm excited about this um dear final girl i'm about to move home and things are weird with my family isn't it the truth uh (laughs) i've got friends and a place to stay but just being in the same town and returning to the place where i grew up fills me with all sorts of feelings. I'm not the person I was then, and I'm afraid I'll fall into some old unhealthy patterns. Any advice? This is from family of origin from Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. (laughs) And we both, we both, even though, even though, um, uh, the film, the film is dun, 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 Hellraiser. Even though in the original Hellraiser, which is the one that we watched versus versus the remake, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kirstie is not from um, is not from this this house that her dad is rehabilitating, but it was a family home. Yeah, and they're trying to kind of like rebuild their lives um, in the UK, where. Um, the the stepmother Julia, which Hellraiser fans will know well, um, where you know Julia is known well, and you know the uh, father. Um, God, why am I like uh, Larry? Okay, yeah. So you know, just kind of trying to make things right, kind of trying to create a good situation for his wife. Uh, Julia is not Kirstie's. Uh, real mother, she's her stepmother, but but Kirsty does agree to kind of come, quote unquote, back home to mm-hmm. you know just kind of help with this like transition and rebuilding process. I I know that. Okay, so 
we've got four main characters, right? Julia, yeah. Larry, Kirsty, and Frank, who's Larry's Uncle brother. Frank. Uncle Frank. Um, so when Larry, so I guess I, what's very confusing about this to me is that it looked like Manhattan and they said something like better than Brooklyn. And, but then it was like, oh, your old stomping grounds. But Frank yeah. used to live in this house in England. And I don't know that he lived there. I think that it was, it was their parents. It was like Larry and Frank's. Um, maybe their childhood home or, 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 or at any point, at any rate, a place that their, that their parents had lived for some time. Okay. And so it was still in the family. And so I didn't really take it. I, this is just me personally. I didn't take it that any of them had lived there anytime soon or even necessarily like grown up there. Right but it was just sort of like a family home. But Frank had made his way back there to convalesce from all of his like underworld adventures or something, you know? <laughs> that was my read, but that was right. my read on it. Yeah, it's what a little- What did you think? What did you think? It's, it's a little sketchy. Okay. This occurred to me at the end of the movie when there are some exterior shots of the house but it looks a hell of a lot like the Amityville horror house. <laughs> and I was like, so are they maybe on Long Island? Are they? So this was 1987 Amityville horror. Am I saying that right? I don't know. I might be yeah. saying mm -hmm. um, that was in like the seventies. Right. Yeah, so, or like early eighties. So it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility, but then there was also like, uh, your old stomping grounds, but if that is Long Island, then why is she? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I think it was in the UK, and a lot of the the men that Julia ended Ooh. up luring mm -hmm. uh, back to the 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 family mints, if you will, right, um, were British, and so yeah, I I, I I I assume they were in the UK. Okay. Okay. UK, UK. It's like if you've got to get a new start and you're moving from Brooklyn to Long Island, like I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> not so sure. <laughs> right. I think Brooklyn is on Long Island. It's just <laughs> closer. To yeah, Manhattan. and besides, if you were in Brooklyn today, it would be super gentrified, and you would not have a reason to leave. So. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. Okay. My notes here say this movie starts weird and keeps getting weirder. <laughs> yes. And we should say this was Tamara's first viewing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I was super, super excited about. So this is all like first time viewing observations and experience. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that Amityville horror thing was like, wait a second. No, not Hold necessarily. On. Not necessarily. So, um, yeah, we open. So the opening and closing of this is very like gremlins to me. 
wingspan I of its seen that time. In so long that I love that. And <laughs> it's like okay, so uh, and I think Gremlins came out around this time. Actually, it's like the really digging into the uh, the Asian racism of like this mystical puzzle box owned oh. by or sold by the Asian guy to somebody who's looking for, you know, enlightenment or heaven or hell or whatever. So we open on Frank. Wait, did we open on that or did it? Yeah. We open on Frank buying this box. He takes yeah. it back home, meditates, open the box. And then we get like, basically exploded body like body that has been torn apart yeah uh and also this was one of my favorite parts uh we know that it's frank because there's pieces of his face including like his eye in the pieces that are stuck together so it's like I, I don't know. It's like they cut up a mask with his, like a a colored iris eye in it, and then put yeah. it back together. And so, either it's like this is really hokey, uh, not even CGI special effects, or it's they've literally torn his face apart deep, right? Which is the scarier thing. Yeah, which that's where I would tend to believe, given how the movie ends, because there mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, face stretching and the the rending apart of bodies. <laughs> Jesus wept. Jesus um, wept. <laughs> I guess we'll man, oh my God, that must have been like, I'm trying to remember when I first saw this movie. I'm sure I didn't see it when it first came out because I would not have been allowed to see it. But I mean, I feel like I feel like that being a very scandalous line at the end, which I, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But yeah. 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 So this 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 puzzle box is the is the key to to realms of of pain and pleasure, which which Frank has discovered. You know, unbeknownst to the the other characters in the film, you know, the other characters in the film are like, you know, you've got Larry and Julia, you know, moving to the UK, moving into his, it's sort of like there's all these different kinds of stomping grounds. It's like, right. it's his old family home, you know, she has no connection to it, but they are back in her home country of the UK. Mm -hmm. And then there's really no, you know, there's in a sense for Kirsty, um, her, you know, coming back to her stomping grounds is like really just just going to wherever her father is needing needing her support, right. you know, and trying to kind of make good with the stepmother. Right. Trying like it. It's obvious that Kirsty is trying with Julia, and Julia is very much reserved and then it turns out like she goes from being reserved to being like an out and out bitch um i mean it's, i say that loosely but you know she's she's a jerk to um kirsty um we should also talk about the relationship between 
Kirsty, and Frank. So Frank, when he was young, was hot shit. Like good looking, very sexy, but also like with a dangerous edge. Like he yeah. carries a switchblade. Uh, to which Max said, you don't see many switchblades anymore. They don't feature very prominently <laughs> in movies anymore. No? Okay, right. Um, so what we know from flashbacks where Julia is like breathing heavily with her hand on her chest, like oh, oh, uh, as she's having flashbacks in this room of the house is that on Frank and Julia's wedding day, uh, Larry and Julia's wedding. Day. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Yes, Larry and Julia's enjoy. wedding day. Frank showed up in the pouring rain outside of Julia's place and basically hit on her and then slept with her and then left her. Yeah. And, she- and they slept. They they actually did it on her wedding dress. <laughs> where I'm like, look, OK, if you're going to do this. All right. You need to make sure the thing doesn't get stained. OK, you need to like not. You know, but it kind of establishes like this very, you know, when she greets, when she greets Frank at the door, she has an, in, Julia has an innocence about her. It does seem mm-hmm. like she's somebody who's, she's happy with who she's with. She's happy that she's about to be married and start this new life, but it don't take too long at all, you know, mm-hmm. for Frank and his insatiable sexual appetite to, uh, wow win her over (laughs) yeah and i think that that okay as kind of hokey as it was it's really good character development because what we see of frank up to that flashback is him with like him in sexual situations in photographs with women who we don't see their faces right except for one like portrait with another woman that Julia actually like rips his face off and puts in her pocket. (laughs) And so like, we know that Julia and Frank have a thing and that there's something there. Um, And it isn't until Larry cuts his hand and bleeds on the floor the buildup to Larry cutting his hand is also during Julia's like flashback and intense like sexual flashback, right? She's thinking of this encounter that she had with Frank and Larry's trying to move this bed up the stairs and this um, there's this nail poking out of the um, banister, the newel post and you know that Larry's going to like just rip open his hand on it. And it, the tension in that, that is probably that for me, like skyrocketed the tension on this whole movie. Oh, that's so cool. Cause it's been so long since I saw it for the first time, but I, I mean, I feel, I feel that I would have had a similar effect, but I, I'm so excited that you're talking about that, that it was like, it had that big of an impact. Yeah. Well, because you, you already sort of like, you're getting the love triangle thing, right? 
And Larry's seems to be such a good guy. He doesn't want to get the beer for the movers, but he does anyways, because Julia's like, yeah, we've got some beer in the fridge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, very early on, it's like, it's like her level of investment, you know, I mean, just because she has this history of Frank and she's still obsessed and reliving it. And you, you just can tell, I mean, it's sort of like Larry coaxing her, like, come on, babe, like, we're going to have this, mm -hmm. it, life is going to be better, you know, mm -hmm. but she's, it's really hard for her to invest because she's still very deep into this obsession with his brother. <laughs> right. Um, just as a side note, Julia is very well-dressed. Yes. Larry is fairly well-dressed. Kirsty seems fairly well-dressed. Like everybody looks like they're, you know, affluent and I know they're doing a start over whatever. Um, couldn't they have paid somebody to clean up that fucking house? I thought the same thing. It's like, you're gonna, not going to move all that shit in before you clean it and paint the walls mm -hmm. and stuff. Like mm -hmm. you gotta, you gotta make the canvas blank again. And then you, but you know, yeah, that, yeah. Right. It's always like I know, that, I know it? plot holes. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, if they had cleaned the house, somebody would have found Frank's like desiccated heart in the attic with the rats where that was his heart exposed like i literally just we were was that was it out and about <laughs> so not out and about it's like under the floorboards mm -hmm. and larry's larry she's having the moment in the upstairs room in the attic or like upstairs room. I don't know if it's the attic, but it feels like an abandoned room. They never put anything in it. Larry comes in, his blood on the floor sort of reanimates Frank. Yeah. And the, and I may have this wrong, but the way that it happens is that this was a pretty cool special effect, by the way, the blood going yes. through the floor and the, heart starting to come back together and then him sort like the body re i don't even know how to it's reconstituting itself including the yes. brain and all that sort of stuff yes um and that was a really cool special effect i don't know if they did a stop motion or what they did um but it looked really cool and also really gross yeah, I agree. It was very, very ectoplasmy, and um, it kind of got me thinking. I mean, to just see sort of like the 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 spine going mm -hmm. into the brain, you know, like this this really sort of essential connection of like, okay, this is like a body that can now kind of animate itself, mm -hmm. you know, and then all these parts start start coming together. Yeah. It, that yeah. was great. I mean, it was great. I mean, I don't know what the kids would think today what, with all the CGI and all, but I thought it was tremendous. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So from that, we, we see like Frank, but it's like what I'm 
thinking of it was sort of like jello pudding pop frank you know like. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um he was raspberry jello um, <laughs> there's one point where he's still like uh mucusy on his hands <laughs> and he like reaches out and touches her on the shoulder and i was like Mm, he would have gotten all over that white white silk shirt. Like, don't don't mess with me. Okay, so then we kind of get a little bit more character development for Kirsty because Kirsty and Larry get drunk. Julia is like distracted. She wants to go up and see Frank because she's found Frank. Right? He's reanimated. Yeah, this is like the kind of the dinner. There's like a dinner party at the house. Like the house is far enough along that there's a dinner party. And right. and Kirsty is there. And there's like another young man that's here. I know I can't even remember his name, but there's sort of like, okay. I don't love, even know that right? he has a name, honestly. Love and Steve or something, maybe yeah. Steve. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't write it down. Poor Steve. He didn't even get a... He didn't even get a credit with us, but I think it was Steve. I think it mm -hmm. was. <laughs> Sounds right. Um. So, yeah. The character you were talking about, Kirsty's character development. So, uh, sorry, I'm I'm looking through my notes, but yeah, Kirsty's character development. She's. Goes home with some dude from the party. Uh, Kirsty and Larry get drunk at the party, and then Kirsty goes home with Steve. Um, and Steve is all like, "Well, why didn't you? You know, why don't you just live with your dad?" And she's like, uh, "Don't worry about it, right?" Um, there's the joy factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does exactly. say that. It's sort of like, "Well, there's this kind of this joy thing." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, um, and we do have the introduction of the dude that's looking at them from the doorway. So like the bum character. Um, but even though Kirsty and Steve are being followed, Kirsty and Steve still make out in the subway hall, right? And then we assume that they go back and whatever. Uh, whatever yada 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 right um <laughs> that night Kirsty has a dream of some baby crying and then there's someone laid out not like on a bed but like a gurney covered in a sheet mm. and then she wakes uh it's her dad right she wakes up screaming steve wakes her up whoa, whoa whatever she calls her dad and so we're led to believe that dad's in trouble from julia because julia has just found out that frank lives in the attic whatever larry's fine and so there starts we start to kind of get this feeling of julia isn't gonna hurt larry right not yeah not she she's she still has a loyalty you know she's mm -hmm. still she still has a loyalty toward him i mean frank has basically given her this you know like hey i need you to like bring me fresh meat 
Yeah. It's going to help me reconstitute myself and get some flesh on these bones. And doesn't he say something like, and I think we both want that, don't we? Or something like yeah. that. You know? Every drop of blood you spill puts more flesh on my bones. And we both want that, don't we? Love Ugh. it. I mean, gross. Uh, but And yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah, because there was somewhere in there where um, it seems like Julia... Frank has asked for more blood and it seems like after this party, Julia is going to give him more blood, which is why we would think that Kirsty is having a dream about her dead dad. Turns out he's fine. So what does Julia do? She goes out and brings home, I said, some bloke who picks her up at a bar and who is admittedly literally. She brings huh? home the hum- she brings home the human bacon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the long pig. The long pig, yes. Ugh. For the Hannibal, for the Hannibal fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and and admittedly, this guy is an asshole. Like he like is or at least he plays at being an asshole. Like he tries to be very physical with her and then like backs off right like oh i'm sorry i shouldn't have done that so i just had no respect for this guy and when (laughs) you realize oh she's brought them this guy back to sacrifice him to frank it's kind of like okay take him right yeah and we you know that he's only the, the first of many and it's like you know her appearance begins to change mm. like she gets mm-hmm. very she gets very vampy which i found myself wondering i, I know it's like it's like her eye makeup is very dramatic and her her hair it's kind of like this sort of like chic mohawk almost mm-hmm. and it's sort of like you know when if, if we think about the theme of like coming home and like what's familiar to us you know, I kept thinking, like, how does Larry not notice, like, these, I mean, it's a rather dramatic change in her appearance. Yeah. Like, yeah. how does he, how does he not notice that, that his, you know, um, that his partner, his, 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 yeah, his partner is like, okay, yeah, she's looking different, but, you know, I mean, at least for a while, it appears that it can benefit him, because the implication is that, sexual relations between them haven't exactly been ongoing perhaps they've been suspended she sort of comes across as this sort of stereotypical frigid you know character um and uh but you know apparently frank is like really the only guy that can turn around (laughs) yeah and okay so we got a couple of things here because after uh, after that first kill, Frank says, well, one, maybe two more. Then we can get away from here before the Cenobites come yeah. and like find me. So then there's now we have a sense of urgency. Now we have a deadline. Right. And uh, at the same time, things are getting weirder for Kirsty as well because she apparently works in a pet store and there's a 
the dude from the alleyway, the bum from the alleyway comes in and like sticks his hand in the aquarium of live crickets and just like puts a mouthful of live crickets in his mouth and then leaves. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, Julia is getting more and more like fierce looking. Honestly, she's getting, she looks really sexy, like in an, 1987 sort of way yes. right? like she's, she's super sexed up like all the time she's just sort of sitting around basking in her own sexual energy waiting <laughs> waiting shirts. to go you just she's feeling herself like yeah. For sure. yeah with um that upside down triangle look with the huge uh <laughs> shoulder pads the silk shirt and the pencil skirt. Yes, so, very, very dynasty sort of. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so at some point, Frank tells her, and uh, Julie brings another home, she gets sexier, right? And then after that one, they're sort of like in this post-kill bliss where Frank tells her what happened to him. The Cenobites made me feel pain and pleasure, but also tore him apart. Like, and that, <laughs> it sounds like a metaphor, but no, it's literally tore him apart. Mm -hmm. And she promises they will never find you again, which I was like, woman, please don't promise that make promises you can't keep. Like, <laughs> have you ever seen team America world police? Mm -hmm. When uh, the two like main characters, <laughs> one guy is like, uh, you know, I want to have sex. And the woman is like, I can't do that unless you can promise me you will never die. And then he looks like directly at her and says, I promise I will never die. <laughs> and then, and then, and then ensues, you know, the, the most graphic, if perhaps, you know, not the only graphic pep, puppet sex scene in history. Which is, I saw that in the theater and that was like, holy crap you know to kind of watch that with other people around is kind of <laughs> so uncomfortable and what? you know that um trey parker and matt stone were like like that was the whole point like let's yeah like also the five minute long barfing scene in that movie anyway, <laughs> um, we could talk about that movie later um okay so at this point, so we know about the Cenobites, right? Yeah, we've and just we know that they're learn. a threat. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, we've just started to learn. And we we don't really haven't seen them yet. We know that they, okay, there's these creatures that live in this other dimension that's about extreme pleasure and pain. But, you know, yeah, haven't no on-screen <laughs> presence yet. Yeah. And... Then Kirsty comes home. So Julia is, has brought home a third dude, a third sacrifice. And because she doesn't want Frank to 
kill Larry. So at some point in here, Frank is like lurking in the doorway when Larry is trying to have sex with Julia and Julia is afraid that Frank is going to kill Larry. And so she protests, right? Um, Then, so Julia brings home another dude as a sacrifice, but Kirsty's kind of following Julia and then is like, you know, what is my stepmom doing? Right. And then because she's too curious, Kirsty sees Frank also the box, grabs the box and run runs away with it. Yeah. And this had like, you know, like the reason that she was going to the house, you know, kind of it ties back to the letter and the theme, which it was like, you know, her father had said, you know, I just I really just feel like Julia could use some company. It seems like she doesn't Mm. even want to leave the house. If you could just drop by, you know, she could really use somebody to talk to. So Kirstie is like as a part of her coming back to this. Yeah, challenging yeah. family dynamic she's like okay dad you know like i, I want to help out here she goes back to the house and like you said she just so happens to see that yeah has you know brought someone home that's like not her father so and i had really missed that because what is interesting to me there is that kirsty continues to be this very pure character Right. And this is kind of where the main character shifts. Because previous to this, it's sort of Julia's story. And once Kirsty steals the box, it becomes Kirsty's story, where she's like, running away she's bloody whatever she gets put in the hospital the doctor asks about the box uh and asks her about the box and she's like i don't know whatever and and he's like well maybe this will um jog your memory whatever they leave her alone she's playing with the box in her hospital bed and it opens a door in her hospital room which is like well that's dumb don't you know not the door you should go through right but (laughs) of course she walks in and then and that's where she first meets the the cenobites right in pinhead Mm -hmm. well no because as she walks down that hallway there's the monster with like a head at the top and a head at the bottom with a like scorpion tail over top of it so like this really terrifying monster that starts chasing her back hallway seems to go on forever this seems this feels like every fucking monster dream you have as a kid where you're just running and running and running and you can't get there and you can't get there she jumps back through the wall and then the first one that you see is the chattering teeth Cenobite. Yeah. Yep. And that is, it was like, that is genuinely scary. 
I was going to ask you, like, what was that like for you? Because I saw it for the first time a long time ago, but like you literally just saw it for the first time, like in the past few days. So yeah, the um, honestly, I think the chattering teeth is the scariest. Right? Really? Yeah, I I can kind of see that when I, if I'm kind of th- playing the characters. Yeah, that's just yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear that, but just trying to <laughs> chatter my teeth. <laughs> Which is funny because now there's that game where you can like put the dentistry uh, spreaders in your cheeks and have to say words with it. Anyways, um, so we get teeth chatterer, vagina neck, and butterball. <laughs> I know that butterball, vagina neck is what max called her but actually i think that it was i'm looking on um i am looking on imdb right now to try and let me just say vagina is the wrong word it would be like labial neck or something like that labia yeah there's like you know, she's just listed as female Cenobite. I mean, um, which is kind of which is kind of strange. I felt like she had a name, and actually, in the in the in the IMDb listing for the first Hellraiser, um, Pinhead is just listed as lead Cenobite. Hmm. I think that I think that the Pinhead name was acquired after the first one mm-hmm. um and then you know henceforth he that's what he was is butterball also actually butterball is in the first one there's chattering cinnabite butterball uh-huh. cinnabite female <sighs> cinnabite but i feel like she acquired you know she Vagina like acquired a name or something yeah yeah <laughs> So the the introduction of the Cenobites are is pretty scary, but what's interesting about them, and maybe this is sort of the like heaven hell sort of mix, is that they will take a deal, right? They'll they'll take the deal from Kirsty. She says, "I can lead you to Frank." And they said, if you cheat us, we'll tear your soul apart. Um, <laughs> is that the one? Is that the line yes. that you were doing? Yeah. Yes. Um, and I honestly thought I was going to be sca- more scared of the Cenobites when they showed up here. Like, okay, running down the hall. That was scary, right? And it was pretty scary. Oh, my God, they're going to get her. Um, but then when they kind of show up and are just talking, it's like, oh, okay. I mean, you've got deep voices and there is like fog around you, whatever. But it was like, oh, well, you know, you're semi-rational beings. Fine. Yeah. And I think I think one thing that's really interested has interested me about the Hellraiser films and really kind of any horror films where there's a supernatural element 
and like, okay, a ghost is a spiritual entity is chasing someone, but they are trying to get through a door in a very traditional way, like breaking a lock. It's like, you're fucking supernatural. Just do your thing, you know? So that's one thing about, about, about the Cenobites, which also kind of ties back into this idea of home and stomping grounds, which is like, they, they are confined you know, uh-huh. they are confined to their world, which is probably why why maybe they didn't strike you as scary because certain things have to happen for them to be able to, for them to be able to enter the earthly plane. I mean, someone can go right. into their world by manipulating this box and seeking out, you know, these different realms. What do they say? Like, we are explorers in the further regions of experience, you know, I love right. that. <laughs> love that line, you know, um, but maybe that's why it wasn't as scary because you, you do see their limitations, you know, they seem to be operating under like kind of human rules because we learn in late, well, you don't know this yet, but I mean, you learn that they, they essentially, they were all human as well and they were transformed. Interesting. Okay. And, yeah. and, sequels yeah yeah i okay. won't say anything more because actually the second one hellraiser 2 it's kind of like the the god it's kind of like godfather and godfather 2 where people say like oh the second one was actually better better like hellraiser 2 there there definitely i had my moments where it was like it was better like it was even better it was it's really huh. good so if you're sort of on this train you know it's it's pretty good well just from a like literary standpoint, I can see how like you've got a lot of ground to cover and a lot of exposition to cover in the first movie. It's just like the pilot yeah. of any series. You got a lot of setting up to do before you can get to like an actual plot. And yeah. we get to it here, but you have to do all these flashbacks of sexy Frank and whatever. Um, and before you can get to the real meat of it, um, I think what's really interesting, what we see in the last, in the last act of this, um, movie after we meet the Cenobites, Larry comes home. Okay. I'm going to very put this very succinctly. Mary comes home, Frank takes his skin, Kirsty then comes home with the box, talks to who she thinks is her dad, but then, you know, he's bleeding from this outline around his, like, hair. Um, And Larry says, I had to put Frank down like a mad dog. Uh, And Kirsty wants to see dead frank and then goes into the room and the cenobites show up is that is that correct yeah because she has made a deal with the cenobites that when they sort of break into her world because she's got the box and she's she's in it's it's when she's in the hospital and she's injured and she's got this box and manipulating it she's like made a deal with them it's like no like hey remember frank he got away from you and they're like Mm -hmm. no no one escapes us or whatever you know and she's like no for real dudes he did escape you and basically in exchange for my life i will give you frank right and so that's what she goes 
she's once again returning home. She's going back home to do, to deliver a family member. I mean, she's to deliver yeah. her Uncle Frank to these. Yeah. Dudes. And so she brings the Cenobites, Cenobites into the room with Frank, even though she's like, oh shit, I fucked up. Or the deal is messed up because Frank is dead. And then Frank or Larry, Frank in Larry. <laughs> yeah, Larry is dead. Yeah, like basically Frank has taken over Larry's body. Right. Uh, he says what Frank said to her when she found when she found Frank without his skin earlier, which was come to daddy and that come to daddy was something this is like frank's catchphrase right he had said it to julia years before whatever and then he says and it makes sense in the context that larry her father would say Come to daddy, except for it's not something that Larry would ever say. No, and it's said in a very creepy, semi-sexual. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what ends up happening is in within the struggle, Julia's holding Kirsty to offer her up to Frank. And then Frank ends up killing Julia, stabbing her in the stomach, whatever. And <laughs> great Sorry, line. Sorry, babe. Nothing personal. Yeah, <laughs> nothing personal, baby. Um, <laughs> and then goes after Kirsty. And then at that point, I wrote, OMG, are we going to have a final girl? Because I don't think we've had a final girl for several movies. Probably, maybe not. Maybe not. And she's so, I mean, you know, at the when the credits opened for this film, it was like an introducing Ashley Lawrence. I was like, holy shit, was this her first film? Like, she is amazing. She is mm-hmm. such a strong actress. And that character, even though her character isn't in the film a lot, she's very powerful when she's in the film. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what else she's done, but... Um... She did a great job in this. Yeah, she really did. Okay. Then we do like the normal horror movie running from the villain, hiding in an attic room. Uh, And then like she successfully avoids him. He leaves. Because she's still manipulating the box. She's still got the box and is manipulating it. Oh. And that's how the Cenobites are essentially able to reclaim Frank, who, again, is like at this point taking her father's skin. But. Gotcha. Because there were there were things that weren't lining up. First of all, she's hiding in the attic room and she's back behind the boxes. And then this like body with maggots comes out of the wall and she is able to stifle a scream and 
then we don't hear anything about that body anymore. It's just like scary body yeah. goes away. Yeah. Um, and <sighs> then he leaves that attic room and she pretty much comes out onto the uh, landing and is just like crying at the banister. And Frank, of course, hears her and comes and finds her. And I'm guessing, okay, so after the fact, first when she did it, I was like, what is she doing? And then I was like, oh, okay, so maybe she's trying to draw him into the room. So, but you're saying that she still had the box, she's still manipulating the box. And so what she's doing is waiting until the Cenobites are released before she drags him into the room. I mean, I don't, I don't know at what point I just, I was sort of thinking more toward the, toward the more the final scenes mm. where essentially they do, they end up back in that room and um, which is like, you know, it's kind of like the, the home base for right. everything that happens in this house is this mm -hmm. room. And um, you know, there's a lot around, there's, there's a lot of, there's narrative around like, going in there and not going in there and there's a sound no there's not a sound stay out of there um i was more thinking just you know probably a couple of scenes ahead of you just of where you know es essentially frank is recaptured by the cenobites because right. she still has the box and we get a like kind of hokey by today's standards but pretty it's still pretty disturbing when Frank gets pulled apart because it is the hooks piercing flesh um, of Frank, but actually Larry's flesh, <laughs> gross. Um, hooks on flesh, whatever, and him being basically stretched out. And poor Kirsty, she knows it's Frank, but it's also her father's face yeah yeah and so then it's all she sees him getting stretched apart and that's when he says jesus wept yeah he's he like all splayed out sort of you know kind of crucifix style oh, gross. yeah and, and then she shuts the door but we know that it's like ripping apart yeah and it's interesting because in the second film it returns to this theme of like, you know, her, her, in a way, her homecoming, definitely her loyalty to her father, because the Cenobites come back and she's like, hey, we had a deal. You know, we had a deal that you were going to bring my dad back. And, you know, it kind of, it kind of goes from there, but it's a, that narrative continues because in a way, you know, she's like, I will deliver. Well, really, the deal was don't take me, take Frank. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the deal that you will take Frank. But really, they didn't take Frank. I mean, well, they did, but it was, you know, kind of her dad was obviously taken, you know, he was consumed. Mm -hmm. you know, he was Frank's final victim. So that narrative continues. So that's that's really interesting that that's what they pick up on like mm -hmm. you took my dad and it, you know because Kirsty 
through all of this has a very good relationship with her father whether or not her father is like a great guy we it's up for debate right larry's kind of weird at the party the original party um but we also know that the cenobites have no like morality right their their morality is outside of our understanding if they have one at all and so after they pull frank apart they're already coming after her and they're like you know we're not we didn't make deals don't mean anything to us and so she ends up as she's trying to put the box back together meeting each of the cenobites again so pinhead female cenobite um uh, butterball, butterball chattering head. teeth and then um scorpion double head whatever um and also steve is there trying to help her get out of this i don't remember how steve shows up in the end why did he show up i guess i think he was just looking for her because she had been at the hospital yes that's right and then okay. she, you know she was gone so he went looking for her and then just went looking for her back there that's right that's right he was looking for it at the hospital this is where we get the exterior view of the house where they show like the whole um roof line to floor and i was like well that looks like the amityville horror house um what's really so what's good about this is that they obviously left it open for a sequel because uh kirsty and steve take the puzzle box just like out to a field (laughs) where there's bonfires well the only other thing i was thinking of is like when when there were all the fires around i was like okay are they where the house used to be and the house has now just disintegrated and now there's just a series of fires like I wasn't entirely clear on that it's like okay is this the rubble of the house or are they just like somewhere else like burning the box I don't know yeah it looked to me like they were at like some sort of waterfront or some sort of like okay um but there was a lot of grass on the ground, like in between the fires. So I had that same thought, like, oh, is this a house? No, it's not the house. There's a lot of grass here. So maybe they just smell whatever. Um, but the bum reaches into the fire, grabs the puzzle box from the fire, and then turns into a skeleton Pegasus and like flies off with the box. Yeah, I guess he's what what would that be like i feel like okay there's probably some sort of role like in greek tragedy like in greek in greek plays or mythology that he was playing Mm -hmm. because you know it's like okay well this dude is serving a function but it seems at the end just kind of like a tack on but it kind of makes me wonder because i did order the book Mm. I did order the or the novella, The Hellbound Heart. I haven't started reading it yet, but I wonder if that character will be will be in there. He's sort of like a messenger between worlds or something, because ultimately at the end of the film, the box ends up right back in a, you know, 
a storefront window. Yeah. A cafe with a Asian man selling it to another. Uh, Unsuspecting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Pleasure, sir. So. That's really interesting that. Um, yeah, the role of that character, almost like our connection between one story and then another. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. So we've gone through a lot of movie. Yep. It's kind of like if we, if we, if we are, are we wanting to, uh, bring it back to our letter and some discussion and, uh, prescription? Yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, like, um, It's real hard. It's real hard to get out of those old unhealthy patterns, especially around family, especially around old friends. Like it has taken a whole lot for me and my sister uh, to get to a place where we have sort of an adult friendship um and there are a lot of like missteps along the way right same thing with me and my parents like me and my parents we get along fantastically um but there are there were a lot of sort of missteps and not full understandings as we move towards that and so like in this movie, for me, Kirsty is doing a good job of trying to balance those things and trying to keep the important things in mind, right? I've got a good relationship with my father. I'm trying with Julia, but when wor when worse comes to worse, Julia's a jerk. Yeah. To put it mildly, um, Julia is a jerk and she has to um, make the choice between person that she thinks is her father and her stepmother. Yeah. Yeah. And it did make me curious about like, well, what was there? I mean, clearly her mother, um, Kirstie's mother is deceased. Mm -hmm. um, what, you know, we don't know what the circumstances were of that and what their home life was like and the circumstances of Larry marrying Julia. Um, but I just, she, Kirstie is such a, a strong, is such a strong character in this, in a way she's, she, and it's not just because she's like the final girl. I mean, Larry is portrayed as someone who is like certainly weak in the eyes of his wife, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so much so that when there's like this dinner party and he's sort of like holding court among his friends, it's almost like he's made to look ridiculous because 
it, you know, it, he's been painted as, as this weak character. And so when he attempts to be sort of strong and in charge, it's like mm -hmm. presented as like comical. And yet, and yet you see the strength in him as a, as a person and a, and a father in his relationship with, with Kirstie. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, I mean, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, jo Joya is, is, it's sort of like she's strong and weak at the same time, because it's like, my God, look at the lengths that she goes to. Um, but why does she go to those lengths? Because she's completely in the grips of obsession. Right. I mean, as far as she knows, Frank is gone or dead. And we don't know how many years have passed. But like, I mean, she is still like actively in the throes of the sexual obsession with him, you know, even mm -hmm. even as there's this attempt to build this new life and establish this, take this old home and make it new. And I think, I think that's why Kirstie's so strong. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that really what's coming together for me here in this particular letter and this movie is that one of the things that's tearing these people apart is their inability to be honest with each other. Julia doesn't want to be there. She didn't want to move into that house. Larry really wanted to move into that house, but he's also, I don't know if he knows about the relationship with Julia and Frank, but he knows that something's going on with Julia. Kirsty is not being honest with Larry about the relationship that she's having with Julia. And so I don't know that the honesty is going to necessarily make anything better between these people. But if perhaps Kirsty, Julia, or Larry could be honest at the expense of some of these relationships and make that decision of I'm going to be true to myself and the way that these things are making me feel, then they might have a chance. Because I think where everybody dooms themselves is when they say, I'm going to lie to keep up this relationship with x y you know yeah who, whoever and the only person i think that's being honest or frank is frank yeah. frank is saying this is what i want this is who i am this is yeah oh, he's very much himself yeah <laughs> for sure yeah and so This is a really hard prescription for me because it actually hits very close to home for me. Um, not for me personally, but for some of my uh, very good friends who I are going through a similar thing of figuring out that their parents or the people that they have long relied on 
are not necessarily healthy for them. Yeah. And like keep going back to that toxicity. And so like at some point you have to just say, Hey, Steve, you're somebody that cares about me and that seems to want to be around me. Let's go hang out. I, but I also am saying that from a place of privilege where I have had to walk away from very few people who were incredibly important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find, I I think that it too, as you get older to, to determine what, what, what home meant because you had this first model of home and you sort of what you're just you're you're stuck with it in a way i mean you just that's what you were born into and then you're creating what home means as mm-hmm. you you know build your own families you know whether you have children or don't have children you're still you're building you're building new homes and um it, it has a lot of pull because even if even if like the home of origin was not necessarily pleasant, it's still kind of the template. And, you know, there's just a lot of research out there that suggests it's like we're, we're sort of always reacting to that template. Like even mm-hmm. I find even at 50 years old, you know, I know there are parts of me that are still reacting to that template that was set you know, a long time ago. And then you, you do sometimes find yourself in these, in these positions where you're like making these choices about like, man, I, you, you can honestly say, I love this person. I love these people, but how much, how, how much can I be around them? Yeah. And how much are they, how much, like, are, are we good for each other? (laughs) You know, like, are we good for each other? And so it becomes, you know, I think it's one of the kind of primary, primary challenges of life. And I, you know, I, I think it's, it's for some people, it's definitely easier, you know, um, but you still like, you know, for, for a lot of people, you're adults, now you're an adult relating to your your parent or your family and mm-hmm. half the time like with your family they don't even unless you have kids like they don't really know they don't really know like the adult you they just have okay. we all had this vision of one another as sort of locked in time and it can be really difficult yeah and it's you know i have three siblings and so uh, and we love each other, one another deeply, but we don't spend a lot of time together as an, as adults. And I probably spend more time with my sister um, than I do with my younger brothers because she also has kids. And so we want the kids to hang out and all that sort of stuff. And what is difficult is getting away from those family of origin things. Oh, 
I've always been the smart older sister. So this is the way that I'm going to act in this situation. And you've always been the, you know, and with some of my family members, that's easier to pull out of than others. Um, But I think that staying aware of these relationships and how they make you feel and understanding that (laughs) there are those little devils, those little Cenobites that sort of chatter in your ear that are like, this is annoying little brother shit. And you're like, no, is it? Or is my sibling actually having a problem? Right. Or, you know, is this the same old shit with my parents or like, if you can have the, and I don't always, but if you can have the ability to step back and listen to people, not as your family member, but as like actual people. Yeah. Then maybe you can have a different understanding, but that's so hard. Like you said, because we fall into these old patterns. Yeah. And as adults, we're, we're, I think a lot of us as adults, we are very focused on what kind of experience do I want to be having, which is like playing out across all these characters in this film, you know, the extremes of experience to the, more moderate maintaining the family Mm -hmm. um and as you desire that you know as you desire that as an adult like it may or may not have a place to fit with your family of origin um and and it maybe sometimes it fits and and sometimes it doesn't you know Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the capacity to kind of roll with it um which I'm not a very good example of because it's just like my family is just filled with like fractured relationships and, you know, but it's sort of, there's still a lot of decisions that have been made there. (laughs) But Lori, I feel like you are, one of the things that I really admire about you is how, how many friends like adult friends that you have that you are close to and that to me okay you may feel like your family is fractured but you feel to me like the epitome of i'm choosing my family these are the people that i am picking that are important to me and that I appreciate being around. And I know that we share these things and like, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And like something that we should all (laughs) strive towards because there are people in our families that we should just say, thanks, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you a call card on Christmas, right? Yeah. Um, you drain too much from me yeah. instead of us like giving to one another. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that. And my, my friends have been my family for a long time. And I, I think especially with COVID, it has really caused, I think, all of us to think deeply about like who our people are, especially when we couldn't see our people. And I just want to end by saying that you and Max and your family very firmly, very firmly are in that category for me. And I just have appreciated, I just, I appreciate our, our closeness. Me too. Me too. We're two, we're two, we're two final girls, damn it. Yeah. Final girls. Fuck you. Take, <laughs> take away my weird uncle, Cenobite, Cenobites. <laughs> C-E-N-O-B-I-T-E-S. Yes, Cenobite. I was. They're biting you for like a hundred years. Ceno, I don't like. They have a thousand teeth, or what? Why is it Cenobite? I have to like. This is why I've got to read the the Hellbound Heart. That's the novella that the that Hellraiser is from. Hellbound, the Hellbound Heart. So, I got to read that. Oh, and I got. I finally got it today. It was like very delayed in the delivery. And the font is like deliciously large. And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to be able to pour yes. through this thing. <laughs> ooh, I don't even have to wear my readers. <laughs> <laughs> I may not have to. <laughs> um, All right, friend and listeners. Yeah. We had a final girl. She survived. Yep. She let that stupid puzzle box get away, but only for the reappearance in round two yeah it has a way you know how bad pennies you know they keep turning up it's a whole hellraiser wiki i'm sorry (laughs) you know uh butterball does not look as cool without his sunglasses yeah he's just like a dude (laughs) he looks so cool Pinhead. Yeah, why is it just female? Chatterer. I thought she had an I thought she had a name and I didn't. Oh well, but like oh. she's pretty bad. She's pretty badass though. I didn't even see that there are more that appear, I guess appear in later versions. Yeah, they can't they get pretty ridiculous. Like, okay, if anybody's listening. Uh, if anybody's listening who has seen, you know, three, Hellraiser three, oh my God, it's pretty ridiculous. There's like a, there's like a CD Cenobite. You could tell it was like, ooh, 90s technology. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And like, he can like shoot CDs like out of his Oh yeah. Tail I see him. People. Yeah. <laughs> Camera head. There's there are new Cenobites, but I feel like the originals are the best. Chatterer three and pseudo pinhead. And there's a whole like on the on the Hellraiser wiki, there's a whole listing of like also uh comics. Oh wow. So that's cool. All right. Final girl. This has been lovely. It has been lovely. I hope it's been lovely for our listeners. And we like to we like to dig into older films and new films too. So we always get inspired by your letters. That's like the that's like the reason that we're here. So we're very grateful to have the new one and be able to 
talk about uh talk about hellraiser yeah it's a lot of fun um yeah. and family of origin from richmond virginia um you know maybe try to separate yourself you know take a step back like a and you know don't run headlong at uncle frank yeah yeah come to daddy yes <laughs> or don't <laughs> yeah no 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 don't don't all right bye well it's been a pleasure final girl you too stay spooky stay spooky bye bye <laughs> Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror, but that's all we are. People struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to pr promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there, too. Take care.